Morbid Collective. Welcome to Criminal AF. And for those of you joining us for the first time, this is a true crime podcast. There will be talk of murder, rape, torture, assault, and pretty much any crime that would haunt you nightmares at any given moment. There will be detailed descriptions of said events, and there will be some vulgar language. Like fuck. We understand that Criminal AF is not for everyone, but we just ask that you at least give it a listen. If it's not for you, hey, thanks for checking it out. See ya. But if it is, welcome to the debauchery. Today we're going to discuss some shitty parents who have stabbed, bludgeoned, and set fire. Yes, you heard that right. Set fire to their own children. These are three of the shittiest of shitty people who unfortunately walk this earth. I'm Dave Jari. I'm Garrett Quarter. And this is Criminal as What's good, true crime douchebags? Welcome to another episode of Criminal AF. Once again, I am Dave Jari, and with me is my co-host, Garrett Quarter. How we doing? Uh, before we jump into this, I just want to put it out there that on the 19th of this month, I'll be going under the knife. I'm having gastric bypass surgery to hopefully help remedy uh, a personal struggle I've been dealing with for for you know some years. So uh, what does this mean for Criminal AF? Hopefully nothing, but possibly uh, you know might might be a short hiatus for a couple of weeks or three or you know it depends on how I feel and. We'll see how everything goes. But I just want to put that out there so you're all aware of what's going on here. And uh, actually, Garrett's going to Mexico. I'm going to Mexico. Well, I'm going to Mexico. You're getting it. Arriba! <laughs> you can say Arriba. Yeah. Okay. How many, you know how many drunk people at, down in Mexico just yell out fucking, <laughs> like, hanging out on the beach out drunk? Con leche! El cafecita el leche! And the lady's like, I speak English. Yeah. <laughs> All right, now that that's put out in the universe, we got to give a shout-out to our newest member of the debauched, and that's Kaylee Fraz. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right, Kaylee. Uh, as well as an upgraded member, Courtney Seddon. Uh, thank you so much, Kaylee and Courtney, for being part of our fucked-up family. Thank you guys so much. Uh, you can become a member of the debauched by joining our Patreon for as little as $2 a month for general support. Everyone gets access to our private Discord as well as ad-free episodes. And those who join the $5 tier above get all of our audible, visual, and downloadable content. And for the higher tiers, you get all of this plus producer credits. And, uh, you know, there's some goodies thrown in, like T-shirts, posters, coffee mugs, etc. To choose your tier, just go to... Criminal as fuck! com and click on the support tab. There are other ways to support Criminal AF as well. You can visit our show on Apple Podcasts where you can give us five stars and leave a detailed review on why Criminal AF is the number one true crime podcast in the world, world, world. <laughs> you, can also, you can also go to Spotify and answer the questions or polls that are posted with each episode. One other way to help us out is you can be rocking our merch. Yes, sir. I gotta get the voice thing over here. Uh, there are tons of designs and products to choose from, and you can find them on the shop tab over at criminalistfuck.com. I'd like to bring everyone's attention to the website Morbid Collective. Morbid Collective is a group of independent podcasts I'm putting together to share and cross-promote each other's shows. So far, we have us, Criminal AF, Fright Flick FMK, True Crime University, and we'll be adding a couple more shows to the collective in October, namely the show Freaky As Fuck, 
You're a very freaky girl. Uh, uh, Get it uh, from uh. her mama. <laughs> then she gives you brain in the backseat of a Hummer. Oh, shit. Uh, actually, uh, Chris Owen, our friend and researcher for the show, and also the the co-host for the, for Freaky As Fuck, will be joining us a little later in the show to give her uh, share her own story of a shitty parent. So stay tuned for that. Ooh. Yes. So you can follow all of our friends at morbidcollective.com or follow the link in the episode description. Uh, speaking of, let's pop in real quick with our friend Debbie over at True Crime University. So you like to listen to people talk about crime, but did you ever wonder why criminals do the things they do? Like what makes them tick? My name is Debbie, and I'm the professor at True Crime University. Join me in the classroom Thursdays, wherever you get your podcasts, for intellectual discussions about crime, psychology, and why criminals do what they do. See you there. What in the fuck is going on in Florida? Breaking news! <laughs> Florida man arrested for torching car belonging to his cousin, mm. who's also his girlfriend. <laughs> no way! A Florida man was arrested Wednesday for arson after he allegedly torched a car belonging to his girlfriend and cousin. I love... I love how they just throw it in there. Yeah. <laughs> Who are one and the same, several months ago. Melvin Allen... Melvin. A-L-A-I-N. How do you say that? Elaine? A-L-A-I-N. Elaine. <laughs> Melvin Elaine Cintron. <laughs> 37 was caught on camera lighting his cousin and lover's Jaguar XE sedan Ooh. on fire. Ooh, she's rocking the Jag, jet, okay, jet. okay. Oh, I know why he's with his cousin. It's, yeah. a, it's his little sugar mama, oh, too, yeah. at the was same it, time. Was it tax season? <laughs> the memes were the guys that are sitting behind their girlfriend at the ATM. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, doing the little, like, couple hold. <laughs> the prom pose at yeah. the ATM, dude. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Set his uh, cousin and lover's Jaguar XE sedan on fire in front of a North Miami home on April 29th. Investigators determined the sedan belonged to Cintron's girlfriend, but we were unable to interview <laughs> Cintron. <laughs> what a name. Uh, but we were unable to interview her Monday, the station report. She initially said her car uh, caught fire as she drove home because she was afraid of what Cintron would do if she told cops the truth. Ooh, Ooh yeah, and he looks like he would... Uh, Put hands on her too. We, yeah. We'll include the the mugshot in the the description. <laughs> she initially said her uh, car caught on fire as she drove home because she was afraid of what Cintron would do. Yeah. Whenever she spoke to investigators about what happened to her car, her boyfriend made her put her phone on speaker. Oh, oh red flag, shit. baby! Abusive yeah. relationship. Red it's your cousin. Flag. I know. <laughs> That's gonna make the fucking reunions really I fucking know. awkward. Yeah, but I mean, if we're dating, openly dating cousins, that family probably got a little ring a ding ding ding. Did, the, did they know though? I mean, was that public knowledge or did it just come out? For everybody at home listening, send in your cousin, your cousin loving story. You know what I mean? We'll see if this is more frequent than we think. Because, Ray, if you're okay with second, not second, third. Third cousins. Third cousins is is socially acceptable? Are we Uh, on the same page? Third third cousins uh, are uh, outside of the DNA or far far enough outside of the DNA chain. Listen, I'm not picky. I don't care. DNA aside. What's socially acceptable? Not having the title cousin. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, let, let's honestly talk here. Uh, you have you have a lot of cousins, right? I have a shit ton of cousins. Okay, yeah. you have third cousins. Yes, I, I think I have, I know f- fourth cousins. Female third cousins, huh? Yeah. Okay, find any of them 
hot? No. Attractive? No, I don't. Third cousins? No. no, and it's not even because I'm like, I'm not even bluffing. I don't know. No? No. It's the not. thought of a cousin just instantly makes them, yeah, yeah. no, no. Not even like a, even no. when you were younger? No. No? Nope. I guess I'm the only one then. Oh, you got a couple hot cousins? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm just saying. It's third cousin is acceptable, I think. Okay. All right. So third cousin's okay, guys. So any, everybody out there, <laughs> you heard it first. Dave, stamp of approval. <laughs> well, Approved. Well, what, what? how many what cousins were they? I don't know. It doesn't first say. Cousins? It doesn't say. doesn't say? I <laughs> Dude, by the look of this guy, it's probably a first yeah, cousin. Yeah, it's probably like, they probably lived together. Yeah. Yeah. Growing up. Oh, man. Remember last episode we were talking about how uh, how we need to get our white trash on? Yeah, I think I just, like, exposed a little bit of my white trash. <laughs> well, when we did Trash Your Classy, I think you came up. Uh, Tr- a trashy. You did? Yeah. Oh, you yeah, you did. I All did. right. So, yeah, you're, you're, okay. you're, you're good. Let's add, uh, I think my cousin's hot to the trashy list. <laughs> <laughs> you got another one. <laughs> All right, let's be honest. I want everybody to write in. If you have a third cousin and you found them at some point in your life attractive. No, let's add Let's add to the mystique here. Let's, let's build okay. the story. All, All right. right. This goes out to the listeners. If you had a third cousin mm. and she's hot. I'm talking, or he. Or he. Or he. Yep. And he's hot. She's hot. Yeah. Ten, ten. You guys are having a sleepover. <laughs> Wait, no, this made it weird. This made it weird. But... She comes on to you. Yeah. Or he comes on to you. Yeah. Are you taking it down? Third cousins. Third cousin. You're the ten out of ten. And you're... Uh, uh, well, let's, let's leave that to the listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll get back to it when we, <laughs> when we answer it. That is. We'll I, leave get, that. I have a feeling... It depends. Like most of the men in here are gonna be like, "Yeah, dude, what are yeah. you fucking you, you, right?" And, and I mean, that's what I'm talking about. I'm like, you're going through like you know puberty, you know your your sexual awakening or whatever. Yeah. Oh, if I was, I would tell you the truth. You know what I mean? Sixteen, seventeen, yeah. sure, whatever. Yeah. I'm not gonna think straight. I'm not saying having sex with them. I'm just saying that, like finding oh, them attractive. You know. Oh. Or maybe like Aww. you know, tug one out one. Tug one out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well. I love how we get down to the nitty gritty here at uh, yeah. Criminal AF. Studio Chloroform specializes in cousin loving. <laughs> that just went somewhere it shouldn't have. But anyway, all right. All right. Oh, well, seriously, you, I, I want to. We can't talk about incest. I know. Come on. Well, no, it's not incest. Once it's outside that third level, it's not incest anymore. All right, uh, let's finish this. All right. Where's <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that true crime douchebags button? Yeah, true we need crime We need to. We need to. Nobody sent us a, a, a jingle. I know. We need the jingle. True crime douchebag. We're gonna record that. We're gonna record that on this tonight. A true crime douchebag. Bring it back in. Bring it back in. All, All right, right. Here we go. When she was finally able to speak freely, she told yeah. officers she fears uh, Cintron because he carries a fully automatic gun with a Ooh. double drum high capacity magazine. Oh, you don't fuck around. Oh, he got the fucking banana oh, clip, yeah. boy. He looks like he carries a banana clip. He got that. Blah, blah. He got that fucking the ratchet with the banana clip. <laughs> yep. uh, Cintron reportedly calls the round drums on the side of the magazines the gun's tits. The gun's tits. <laughs> I got them tits on I me, boy. I got them tits on my I chopper. I got them tits on the chopper. All right. <laughs> the unmade woman also told police that her alleged pyromaniac boyfriend stole her purse and left her without a way home from a Miami shopping center. Uh, Cintron reportedly got jealous when he thought a bartender was flirting with his cousin. It's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. And the two got into an argument before he snatched her back. Get your eyes off my, my cousin, cousin, motherfucker. Before I hit you with the tits, baby. Before I break out the tits on my chopper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Miami's a different place, dude. Miami, isn't, Miami's where that... Dude got caught eating that person, right? Eating the person's face. The, the ba- yeah, the basketball. Yeah, 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 Miami's wild. Yeah, Miami's wild. 
Oh, Florida. Yeah. Don't dissipate. Yeah. All, All right. right. It's time to fuck this episode yeah, in the mouth, Garrett. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Fuck it hard. Yeah. So, well, yeah. <laughs> we're going to discuss three cases that involve some truly shitty parents. And first, we're going to discuss the shitbag named Timothy Jones Jr. little history on Timothy is that... Uh, that sounds like an NPC name. Yeah. Such an NPC name. Timothy Jones Jr. <laughs> Wait, what's NPC? Uh... uh like a non-playable character, like like somebody, oh, in, the no, ba- like, like somebody in the background, the, yeah, the dudes, no, yeah. just somebody in the background, like, oh. in a, like the video game talk, like someone you oh, don't okay. even you don't even know is there, just Timothy Jones Jr. Oh. Like <laughs> you just scroll, like you walk by their name and the character yeah. in the game, and he's just it's hanging just out. There. It says Timothy Jones. Yeah. All right, a little, little little Gen Z talk for okay. you, buddy. All right, thanks, thanks for bringing me. Uh, <laughs> make me feel like fucking eighty seven years okay, old. Okay, boomer. Okay, boomer. All right, so Timothy Jones Jr., he was born in 1981 to Timothy Jones Sr., go figure. <laughs> it's just a fucking bunch of NBCs. <laughs> and Cindy Jones, who was 16 at the time she became pregnant. Hey, okay. Sounds like a little Florida to me. The elder Timothy described Cindy as violent and erratic. Uh, she behaved strangely, and she gave little Timothy Jr. laxatives as an infant and cutting up his clothes with knives. What hmm. the fuck? Okay. All right, Cindy. Uh, when Jones was 18 months old, Cindy left the family, and Timothy Sr. later remarried. You know what's creepy about that? Uh, giving a, like, at that young, you can tell she just wanted to see what happened. By like, with the laxatives? Yeah. Kind of like, experimenting. Uh, yeah. Let me experiment on my baby. Yeah, that that's um, that's sinister. Yeah. Like, she just, like, like here. Yeah. I gotta... Take these. Instead of burping you and actually being a parent and, yeah. like, you know, comforting your All upset right. stomach, I'm just gonna... Let's see what happens. That's that's sinister. Right. Or if you're pissed off at your fucking husband and you're like walking out and watch the baby, I'm going to the store and then give it laxatives just so the husband has to fucking change the shitty diaper. No, well, that's 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 yeah, that's a shitty, yeah, shitty I mean, thing to do. Yeah. Well, it's a shitty thing to do regardless to an infant. That's fucking ridiculous. All right. So in 2001. No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in 2001, Jones Jr. was arrested in Illinois for possession of cocaine, check forgery, car theft. He was sentenced to seven years in prison, but was released two years later in 2003. Uh, I wonder why he went down this path of fucking crime. Probably because his mother was a fucking psycho. Uh, and, you know, we, we say this before, you know, we, we we sympathize with the child version of these people, but the adult versions, they can go fuck themselves and eat a bullet. I don't really fucking care. Well, I mean, his wires didn't get crossed. Mm-hmm. Abuse of family, abuse of mom. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't killing people. Yeah, well, yeah. Oh, shit. Uh, yeah. So in 2004, right. 22-year-old Jones married 18-year-old Amber Kaiser. Uh, Amber gave birth to five children. Damn. Uh, Mara, who was born in Pennsylvania. Elias and... Natan, who were born in Mississippi, and Gabriel and Abigail, who were born in South Carolina. Uh, in 2011, Jones graduated from Mississippi State University oh, with a wow. degree in computer engineering. No oh, smart dude. Uh, he moved to South Carolina to work as an engineer for Intel. Damn. Wow, okay. All right, Timothy, you got your life uh, going pretty yeah. well for you. Uh, he was earning a salary at approximately $71,000 annually. Now, the couple had moved into an inexpensive trailer in Lexington County in the suburbs of Columbia. Uh, Amber Jones was a stay-at-home mother, and in her testimony later in trial, she indicated that her husband believed that women are to be seen and not heard, as well as the children. Like, uh, we're, we're talking, like, going back to, like, the 1940s, 1950, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, my father used to say that when he was, when, when he was a kid. That's the, those 1950s dads, man. Children were, were seen, not heard. You didn't speak, you know, especially at the dinner table. You know what I mean? It was just the parents 
the dad spoke and everybody just sat there and just fucking ate their food or whatever. Like when dad came home from work, everybody just shut the fuck up. Yeah, I mean? that, that people wonder like like all oh, kids nowadays. You yeah, know what I mean? They don't have any yeah. discipline. Yeah, yeah, because my dad was the most intimidating thing in the fucking world. Of course, he didn't speak in 1950 because right. he ripped out that belt. Yeah. Like you have a literally a demon in your house. Yeah. Of course, you're not gonna. You're just gonna sit there and eat all your fucking food and not be and people like yeah. you're just petrified. Right. Yeah, yeah, and, I, and at one point wanted a quote. Farm full of children. I'll never have to crop the grass again. There, yep. Feed the goats, whatever. Uh, in May 2012, the couple temporarily separated for two weeks, and when Jones returned, he learned that Amber had been leaving the children home alone and was having an affair with a 19-year-old who also lived in a trailer park. Jeez, that 19-year-old probably was... His friends were dapping him up. Oh, yeah. Like, hey, <laughs> oh, you got that milk? You got that milk action? Ooh, is she your cousin? Oh. No. <laughs> I mean, hey... <laughs> Right. I wonder if he has the Pantheon columns for later. Like, oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, spice it up a little bit, yeah. make it a little I fancy. I wonder if he's in a nice trailer park. He's sitting out there in his like, little white tank top, arm up on the, on the fucking column. Uh, transit, Transam in the driveway. Yeah, he's like, how you doing? All right. So we didn't see this coming, but they filed for a divorce. And when it became finalized in 2013, Timothy Jones was awarded full custody. Wow. With Amber getting visitation rights. Well, I mean... So apparently Amber, you know, they there was... Some you know DCF at you know involvement here and stuff, and found that Amber was an unfit mother, and, and hence why Timothy Jones got awarded full custody. She did have she did maintain visitation and whatnot, but all right. So Timothy moved the children to another area of Lexington, uh, and soon was under investigation for child bu- abuse and neglect. Uh. In May 2014, one child said Jones had spanked him and made him do exercise as punishment. But since there were no visible signs of bruising, DCF considered the discipline lawful. Okay? So keep that in mind. I mean, hey, we're down south. Hey, maybe. keep that in mind. You can exercise your kid for punishment and get away with I it. I don't think you can in certain states. Uh, uh, not up here you can. Not up here. No. Down south? No. I mean, when you That's go... That's a full-fledged investigation. Go get yourself a switch. I'm going to hit you with it. Get the biggest Get the biggest stick you can find Go outside. pick your switch. <laughs> All right, Jones was accused of abuse and neglect again two weeks later. This time, the report stated that Jones beats the children often, leaving bruising. He also does not feed the children adequately. The home was reported to be filthy and in disarray, resulting in the caseworker noting that, quote, Dad appears to be overwhelmed and unable to maintain the home, unquote. And he still stayed with them. Yep. And, uh... Now at this time there's there's this this case with the DCF is is open. Okay, it hasn't been closed yet. So now on Thursday, August 28th, 2014, Timothy Jones picked up his three eldest children, Mara, Elias, and Natan, from Saks Gotha Elementary School, and his two youngest, Gabriel and Abigail, from a nearby d- daycare. That afternoon, Jones unsafely forced the five children out of the car at Lexington Walmart, an action for which he would later be charged with unlawful neglect. Okay. Amber Jones called the family home at 7.12 p.m. and spoke to one of her sons, Natan. After that, she could not communicate with Jones or her children. Uh-oh, something's oh, happening. Ooh. What's going on? She's getting cut out. Authorities estimate that Jones most likely killed his children oh, that night God. of August 28th. He wrapped their corpses in black trash bags using bleach to cover the stench of decay. Jones later admitted to killing his children on August 28th in the family home, and it's possible that the other children were dead when Amber Jones spoke to Nantan. 
In the trial, Travis Presley, a prison guard, testified that Jones admitted to strangling his eldest daughter after she witnessed him murdering one of her brothers. Holy shit, dude. Jones reportedly became angry that Natan broke a electrical outlet and forced him to do f- physical exercises. Jones originally had claimed that he found his son dead in his bed, which encouraged him to kill the others. Uh, in his confession, Jones said that he PT'd his ass until he couldn't handle it anymore to get the child to explain what happened to the uh, electrical outlets. However, experts suggested that Natan appeared to be strangled to death, discounting Jones' uh, original statement. Jones admitted to strangling his youngest children with a belt, claiming their necks were too small for his hands to strangle oh, properly. shit, dude. Fuck this piece of shit. Yeah. And the fact that he's, like, talking about it, too. Like, matter of fact. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Stacy Stanley. Like, that's a brag. Yeah. Ugh. Basically, yeah. Hence why he's, uh, he made the uh, episode of Shitty Parents. Yeah. Uh, Stephanie Stanley, a DNA specializing agent, positively identified the mutilated bodies from matching DNA strands found in Jones's car and home. On uh, September 1st, Jones stopped at a Dunkin' Donuts on Labor Day in Spartansburg, South Carolina. On September 3rd, he went to the West Columbia Walmart where he purchased several items he used to mutilate his children, including large plastic bins, saws, and muriatic acid. Now, the reason we bring up the whole Dunkin' Donuts and and whatnot, because this is Mm post-murder. So he's basically going on about his day while his kids are... Getting his fucking black iced away. coffee. Yeah. September 1st, oh, the, the pumpkin spice comes out. And that's where he went. Get his pumpkin spice latte. Jesus. Uh, authorities believe his children were stored in the trunk of his car the entire time. His children were m- marked absent on Friday, Monday, and Tuesday, and also on September 3rd. Amber Jones contacted the authorities to inform them that she could not reach her ex-husband or her children. And they and that they had missed a scheduled visit at Chick Fil A. <laughs> Who misses a visit at Chick Fil A? I'm that's, telling you, right uh, yeah, that, that's the first red flag. Yeah, uh, but that's their meeting point. Is it was Chick Fil A? Uh, this is this. Hopefully, it's not on a Sunday. <laughs> All right. So authorities listed the family as missing, but did not announce it to the public until the following Tuesday, September 9th, six days after their bodies were discovered. Uh, police didn't I- issue an Amber Alert because Timothy Jones was the custodial parent, so therefore they can't be kidnapped if they're with the custodial parent, so to speak. Uh, dude, dad appears to be overwhelmed and unable to maintain the home. Yeah. This goes right back to our Adrian Jones story, too, is like DCF, man, like, you know, they do a lot of good, but f- yeah. fuck, like the, the report is right there. Now, granted, you have to step in. I, I didn't think that they were. They probably didn't think he was going to snap over an electrical outlet and kill his whole family. Right. But I mean, that's a special case of yeah. nut, nut job. But damn, man, you guys were there. Mm. You. It, the report says dad can't take care of his kids. Ah, oh, man, that's tragic. Yeah. They didn't have a chance. Like, where do you go? The abusive mom. They, they, they didn't have a chance. So the bodies of Jones's five children were discovered in black trash bags off of a rural dirt, dirt road in Camden, Alabama. Damn, he drove all the way to Alabama. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, well, he was going to drive further, but we'll touch on that in a little bit. Uh, on Saturday, September 6, 2014, Jones was stopped in his Cadillac Escalade. Well, see, I can't put a, I can't put a mark on this because, like, they're really white trash, but then sometimes they're, they're throwing in these, like, he works for they Intel. Have, I know, but they have he white a, trash tendencies. Right. He works for Intel. He drives an Escalade. Your, your family yeah. meetings at Chick-fil-A. Like, <laughs> right. there's, like... And he lives in a... I mean, I'm not shooting this down. I mean, you know, you got to live where you got to live. Like, right. I, like we talked about, if you listen to the show for a while, I've actually admitted that I've lived in a trailer. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's, 
it's what is available to you and what you can afford and all those other kind of shit, whatever. But I mean, it, yeah, there's a lot of like miscues, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I just throws the story kind of off. Right? Yeah. I need to see pictures. I need pictures. Yeah. I need. I need. I'm gonna deep dive onto this after. Yeah. So yeah, on September 6, 2014, Jones was stopped in his Cadillac Escalade on a routine traffic checkpoint in Mississippi. Uh, police noted that Jones seemed very strange and maybe on the violent side, whatever that means. Initially, police suspected him of uh, driving while under the influence, but when they checked his South Carolina license, they were notified of the missing children. Further, police found blood and materials... Okay, now this is going to fucking set you for a spin. Police found blood and materials to produce methamphetamines in Jones's car. What? Yeah, but what does that mean? Did he have some Sudafed? I don't know. Like 800 boxes of it? I don't know. See, this yeah. is what I'm saying. Driving yeah. an Escalade, but he's... He obviously probably smoked meth before. Or he's a dealer. Yeah, or he sells meth, right? Mm-hmm. Let me know. Uh, they found a handwritten note that details how he mutilated the bodies. Um, he said he was also high on synthetic marijuana. Oh, he was on the spice? Yeah. Oh, no, this guy's white. This guy is complete white trash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, how the fuck do you keep, like... Is that the, what they call K, K... K2. K2? Yeah. That's synthetic marijuana, Yeah, right? K2 yeah. will make you fucking... Eat people? In alleys? Yeah. I don't know. K2 is that, that I remember. Remember you could just buy it at a gas station when it first came out? I don't, I don't know. You could buy that shit at a gas, like at the gas station. Really? Yeah. Any gas station in Connecticut had just K2 over the counter. They didn't like display it, but you just right. be like, hey, can I get a bag, like a gram of K2? And they'd sell it right to, I'm not even kidding. <laughs> and then you would just roll it up like a, like a joint and yeah. smoke it with your friends and shit. And then. What the fuck? People started having like crazy hallucinations and shit yeah. and they were like whoa 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 and they had to like they had to quickly do yeah. a FDA crackdown on it yeah alright so several, several days later Jones led the Mississippi sheriff and FBI agents to where he disposed of the children uh, it was later revealed in court that Jones originally planned to dump the bodies near the Mexican border now it's unclear why Jones stopped in Alabama but uh, that's where he, that's where he ended up so prosecutors uh Posited that the stench of decomposition made Jones change his plans. Jeez. Like his car reeked, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm not fucking making it all the way to Mexico." I, I wonder. You think he was high when he killed his family? He had. I mean, he's uh, probably up on the. He's spice. got a fucking meth lab in his fucking meth car. Lab, yeah, you know, he's, he's smoking K two. If he's doing meth and smoking spice, like he might have just lost his fucking mind. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because meth meth is a very violent drug too. Yeah. On top of that, so we're gonna we're gonna touch on things a little bit later where. All of this kind of like comes together as far as like the meth and all that kind of shit. All right. All right. And then an officer at the scene spoke that the car smelled like the stench of death. And it was filled with blood, bleach, and maggots. Holy shit. Dude, uh, a ma- a ma- you're, the, you're the arresting officer that yeah. day. You pull over a car yep. with five murdered children's bodies, mm. a dude high on fucking K2, and a whole bunch of me- like a meth factory in the car. That is a wild. Right. That yeah. is a wild day. For How that, was your day at work today, officer. honey? Well, wow. <laughs> fuck. Yeah, yeah. Holy shit! All right, so we're gonna touch a little bit on the autopsies here. So, Dr. Janice Ross, who performed the autopsy, cited that the black bag sped up the decomp uh, since they were placed in the sun. The bodies had been outdoors for approximately one week before they recovered. In her report, she indicated that the bodies had been significantly decomposed by animal eating and maggots. Oh. Uh, Elias was the first autopsy performed. Uh, she noted that the body was in two separate trash bags and was clothed in short-sleeved 
Saks Gotha shirt, which is the school. The report indicated that there was tissue loss at the neck. Skeletoniz- Skeletonization. After <laughs> do it. <laughs> at the hands. Uh, decomposition, skin discoloration, internal organs, decomposing, uh, no natural disease, fracture of bone and neck, which signifies strangulation. Uh, Mara, the second autopsy, was uh, reportedly unclothed. Uh, Ross indicated that the child's left hand was missing and that there was significant tissue loss on her body. Gabriel's autopsy reported that he had two parallel lines on the side of his neck Indicative of a ligature made by something wide, such as a belt or a sash. Abigail, the fourth autopsy, had an empty stomach and had the least amount of decomp. Lastly, the fifth autopsy, Natan, revealed that the child's knee was cut with a saw or other sharp object. The body also had an incisor injury on the left femur. Ross determined that the cause of death for all five children to be asphyxiation due to manual strangulation, listing each death as a homicide, but was unable to identify a specific time of death because of the decay. Uh, Further, there was only one child with food in their stomach. Therefore, Ross uh, posited that the children could have already been weak and starving when they were murdered. Jesus Christ. Jones was extradited to South Carolina uh, the acting sheriff of the time uh, stated that Jones initially refused to indicate why he murdered his children. But according to court records, here we go. Here's where the K2 comes and the meth comes in. Jones claimed he feared his kids were going to kill him, chop him up, and feed him to the dogs. His fucking children. That is such a strong statement and like an epiphany for him yeah. that... Especially if, if he was high on meth and K2 and that stuff, uh, because that's his own subconscious knowing that he's doing a horrible job and doing yeah. treating these kids so bad that he feared that they were going to like, right. they turn on him. They're going to turn on they, him. Like, yeah. we, we hear stories about this all the time. Mm-hmm. Abused, abused kids will just walk into their parents' right. their room and shoot them. Right. So subconsciously, he knows he's like I'm he's being a piece I'm, of shit. I'm such a fucking shitty parent yeah. that my kids are gonna revolt and yeah. fucking kill me. But like that's come on, dude. Yeah, you can change. <laughs> like right. you you have the self realization. Yeah, you have the self realization. Lay off the K two. Jesus. Clo- clo- close the, yeah, close the doors of the I meth mean, lab. Both those paranoia inducing. Yeah. you know drugs. So, yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't want to give him credit. It's, and say like, oh, it's that easy that you right. can say like, oh, that's that's the reason why I killed him because right. that kind of gets him gives him an out, I guess. Yeah. But I could see how that went at that time. He might have believed it. Right. But uh, all right. So the verdict uh, after 15 days of testimony on June 4th, 2019, a jury found Timothy Jones guilty of all five murders. On June 13th, a jury agreed on the existence of an aggravating circumstance and sentenced Jones to death. Uh, in 2021, he uh, had his appeal, and uh, he requested that the South Carolina Supreme Court look at the case. Jones' well, attorney. What, what, what's there to look uh, at here? Yeah, I mean, if you have appeals, you might as well take advantage of them, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Jones' attorney claims that the trial was unfair. And on March 29, 2023, the court issued an opinion affirming his convic- conviction and uh, death sentence. And he is now awaiting his execution on death row. Oh, good old South Carolina, oh, yeah. where we still kill fucking scumbags. Yep. yep. Looking back on this, I yeah. need I need to find that uh, body cam footage from the arrest. Yeah. Oh, wait, it's Alabama. They don't oh. use body cameras <laughs> down there, boy. We just, we just make up our own rules down in Alabama. <laughs> 
Damn, oh, I just no, I just thought about that. There probably isn't yeah. body cam footage. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's probably it's probably Sheriff Jethro and his fucking <laughs> his minivan that he throws a fucking light on top. Criminal AF would be back after this quick break. What's good, everybody? Nothing says I am one of the debauched like Criminal AF apparel and merchandise. Choose from multiple designs that fit your style and your attitude. For women, for men, around the home, or at the office. You can look great repping Criminal AF wherever you go and help support the podcast as well by visiting criminalafpodcast.com backslash shop or click on the link in the episode description. Go get you some merch. Yes, sir. Now back to Criminal AF. All right, next on the list of shittiest of shit stains is fucking Ronnie O'Neill, all right? He was born on July 27th, 1988. Uh, He did not know his biological father when he was younger and only knew him when he became an adult. Uh, He was raised by his stepfather, Billy Smith, and uh, he had a brother named Alonzo Kelly. Now, Ronnie experienced childhood trauma when he was young. At the age of five years old, he was sexually abused by multiple extended uh, family members. Unfortunately, he didn't get the treatment where he needed, which traumatized him for the rest of his life. Uh, he grew up in somewhat of a stable home, if you know, you call that stable. Oh, your uncles coming yeah, in your well, bedroom, yeah. Yeah. yeah, creepy uncle Kyle. Now, before I, you know, I said that he he converted to to being a Muslim, uh, he, but he was raised as a Christian and sang in a church choir. That makes sense because when you hear the family <coughs> names and then yeah. Ronnie the Muslim, that doesn't right. sound right. Yeah. Now he went on to study in East Bay High School. And, uh, Saved by the bell. <laughs> <laughs> hey Screech, what's going on, buddy? <laughs> Zach Morris is so He's hot. so dreamy. <laughs> Hi, Kelly. You want to go on a prom? All right. Uh-huh. So, uh, he went to East Bay High in uh, Florida where he played football. Oh, he was there with uh, Mario uh, Lopez. What was, what was his name? I don't remember. What was Mario's name? Why can't I think? I used to watch Save by the Bell all the time. Yeah. Uh, I forget. I don't know. All right. He also participated in the Reserve Officer Training Corps, a college program offered to uh, students to become officers in the U.S. military. He graduated high school and tried joining the Marine Corps, but he uh, failed the entrance exam oh, on geez, many occasions. Dude. That that just goes to show that he doesn't have the highest IQ because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you couldn't pass the ASVAB on multiple tries to even get into the Marine Corps? Yeah. Shout now, out to all our Marines out there, boys. Yeah. Love you all. But like I'm, just, I, I'm just saying, even they'll agree, all right? Like I would say, I, like we, we talked about this before, like I wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed when I was fucking in school, but I did exceptionally well in the ASVAB. Did I you? Do have you, to wait, say. you tried to, you yes. were going to join the military? Yep. Damn. Yep. Medical issue held me back. Uh, yeah. What did you want to do? What was your dream job in the military? I was going to be a MP. Yeah, I wanted to be a cop, but couldn't do that. So here we are. Secure top flight security of the world, Craig. <laughs> All right. So when uh, Marines failed, he uh, he started getting into music and he began writing songs and performed in a hip hop duo. Oh man, this guy just keeps getting better and better. Uh, yeah. In 2007, 2008, uh, Ronnie met his girlfriend Kenyatta Barron, and they lived in Riverview, Hillsborough County, Florida. They had their first child, a daughter named Rod Nevea O'Neill, in 2009. Their daughter was diagnosed with cerebral palsy and autism and could not speak. Uh, she was wheelchair-bound and used sign language to communicate. Wow. In 2011, they had their second child, a son named Ronnie O'Neill IV, and in 2016, the couple split. 
Now, on March 18th, 2018, at 11.43 p.m., Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office got a 911 call from Kenyatta, and Ronnie could be heard in the back screaming, Allahu Akbar, which means God is the greatest in Arabic. Now, Kenyatta, who was shot in the arm and hiding in the closet at the time of the call, is pleading and screaming, I'm so sorry, Ronnie, I'm sorry, as uh, she's on on the phone call. Now, Ronnie can be heard in the background saying, She killed me. Don't come outside. Call 911 now, whatever all that means. And at one point, you could hear him yell to little Ronnie, who was seven at the time, Get in here and shoot this bitch. Whoa. Okay. Now, Kenyatta managed to escape and ran out into the front yard, uh, and and Ronnie chased her down. A neighbor who witnessed the altercation uh, saw him hammering on her with a shotgun. What? Probably with the, the probably with the butt end of it, like basically like swinging it like a fucking bat, uh, three times before fatally shooting her in the front yard. He then went back inside, and here's where the shitty fucking parent really takes a toll. He went back inside and hacked his nine-year-old autistic, nonverbal, wheelchair-bound daughter apart with a hatchet. Wow. Yep. He then stabbed his seven-year-old son, Ronnie the Fourth leaving him for dead and he lit the house and Ronnie on fire little Ronnie on fire okay so the little boy is stabbed and on fire wow man at 11:49 p.m. deputies arrived to find Kenyatta in the front yard of the home uh, at 11:51 with deputies outside treating Kenyatta and assessing the situation big Ronnie uh, called 911 a second time claiming, claiming to have been attacked by white demons and accusing Kenyatta, who he called Kiki in the call, of trying to kill him while also admitting that he just killed her. Meanwhile, while all this is going on, little Ronnie had stumbled out of the house, heavily bleeding and burned. Uh, He was alive, obviously, but he was barely clinging to life. Like, they were not, this kid's not going to make it. Did he? Stay tuned, Garrett. We're learning as we go along. (laughs) Uh, so Ronnie O'Neill, he came out of the house shortly after. What a and, fucking trooper, dude! Yeah. Seven? How old was he? Eight? Yeah, seven. Seven years old. Yeah. And to go through that, and mm-hmm. then still get enough fucking strength to not just lay there, yeah. get up and walk out of that house. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so O'Neill came out of the house shortly after and fought with police before being tased and was taken into custody. Uh, he quickly changed his story and claimed that Kenyatta was the one who attacked the two children and that he killed her in self-defense. Okay. Ronnie O'Neill chose to represent himself and had one of the most outlandish opening statements. Uh, he constantly uh, disrupted the court with drama and antics, and his closing statements were fucking off the fucking rails. I mean, we got to see that, a little of that with the guy who drove the car. Yeah, the, the, the well, Keisha yeah. the, uh, How parade. Absolutely dude. ridiculous, and, and that's good because this, this motherfucker is going to get everything thrown at him. Right, yeah. Um, at times during court, he was screaming his head off and becoming totally animated and, like I said, just creating a whole fucking scene. Uh, interestingly enough, the judge did, uh, they had to keep the, his, his antics and were in comments and stuff for the record uh, so that if, uh, to show that he was competent in his questions mm-hmm. uh, in case it came up with, uh, in, a, in the appeals process. Saying that he wasn't, you know, given the, his yeah. time to talk, yeah, right. yeah. That, well, we, I mean, like I said, going back to that that public yeah. trial that we, every, I mean, everybody kind of probably saw if you yeah. if you followed true crime or right. Um, 
Yeah, he was fucking off the rail. But the dude. judge did. Everybody was talking. Like I, I saw a lot of articles and like stories saying how well the the judge did, so that there would not be a mistrial. So there would right. not be like that's what he yes. was. He was hoping. He was just trying to get it right. so he can use the trial as ammo for later. So, so now with him representing himself as his own attorney, uh, it also gave him the ability to cross-examine little Ronnie, who survived. Oh, my God. And is dude. now 11 years old. Be, there should be some sort of protection. Yeah. Well, the protection in this case was that he was he yeah, was, he was not present. He was, he was at, uh, via closed-circuit TV. Oh, that doesn't matter, man. You're still talking. Oh, that's horrible. I feel so bad for that. Yeah. That kid is going to be... Like, it, it's amazing that he survived, but he's going to have to work through some shit, right. man. There is a silver lining in this, and we'll go a little bit more. So the the brave boy, little Ronnie, uh, he was being cross-examined cross-examined by his father via closed-circuit TV with his golden, golden retriever therapy dog and his newly adopted family by his side. When asked by his father upon cross-examination, did I hurt you that night of this incident? Little Ronnie replied, yes. He's like, how did I hurt you? Little Ronnie said, you stabbed me. And I swear this guy fucking got his fucking rocks off Ugh. asking his little boy these questions. You know what I mean? Because w- where else are these these questions like lead to? Yeah, why? Well, other than trauma to your fucking kid. You know what I mean? Anyway. Oh, that poor kid has to live with that for the rest of his life. Yeah. So after a three week, three week trial, the jury deliberated for a little more than three hours and found him guilty, but decided against a death sentence because the aggravating circumstances in the case did not outweigh the mitigating cir- circumstances. Whatever that means, I don't even fucking know. He should fucking die. You hacked your fucking nine-year-old daughter in a wheelchair to death with a machete. No, you're going to fucking die, dude. You're going to die. I don't care what the circumstances are. So, anyway, in lieu of death, he received three life sentences uh, plus 60 years and was convicted of two counts of first-degree murder, one count of attempted first-degree murder, two counts of aggravated child abuse, one count of arson, and one count of resisting law enforcement. Uh, as lawyer spoke, O'Neill doodled on his paper. He flashed signs towards the news cameras and courtroom spectators. One read, love you. Another read, only no sin cast first stone. This guy is just yeah. out of his fucking mind. All right, Ronnie O'Neill is now serving out his three consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole at Blackwater River Correctional Facility in Milton, Santa Ana County, Florida. Well, there's just, at least he doesn't have the possibility of parole. Right. So. Uh, silver lining, okay? Here's a silver lining. Uh, Detective uh, Mike Blair, who had shown up at the scene after little Ronnie had been transported to the hospital, was there to serve a search warrant of the property. Now, de- uh, Mike Blair, he's a uh, detective's in the homicide. The homicide the- division? Homicide division, yes. So after working the scene, uh, Detective Blair went to visit the boy in the hospital, which at that point, not many thought he would make it through the night. Uh, Detective Blair would return several times to the hospital to check in on little Ronnie and would bring him items from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, one night when Blair was leaving his room, little Ronnie reached out and grabbed Blair's hand and asked, will you watch a movie with me? Blair had to get back to work, but he immediately called his wife. The couple had a date planned for that night, uh, but Blair and his wife knew what they had to do. Later that evening, Detective Blair and his wife watched Transformers with little Ronnie. Oh, dude, good people always come out. Yeah. Uh, once cleared medically, Ronnie the fourth ended up in foster care. Uh, he had gone through a couple of foster hand, uh, foster homes. Uh, he lived with a couple of family members, but there was never, ever, ever anything like positive in these living situations. 
So several months later, the liaison for the case reached out to Detective Blair and asked if they would be interested in fostering little Ronnie. Uh, he didn't even pause. He answered yes without even checking with his wife because he knew what her answer would be. A year and a half later, they officially adopted Ronnie, who is now Ronnie Blair. Uh, he resides in Florida with the detective, his wife, his five new siblings, and their dogs. Uh, he wants to be an actor when he grows up and has done wonderfully through a lot of love and therapy. Uh, he is quoted as saying uh, of the Blairs, they are really nice people. They are the best moms and dads, and they really take care of me. There is no one else better than them. So. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Positive end to the story. You know, there is there was a little rainbow at the end. You know what I mean? Good for him. Criminal AF would be back after this quick break. You like scary movies? If your answer is yes, then you got to check out my show, Fright Flick FMK. My name's Jay, and along with my co-host, Gentleman and Jack, I watch and discuss horror movies and tell you what I think about them. New or old, mainstream or underground, no horror flick is safe from my warped opinion. So listen to Fright Flick FMK now. It's on all major podcast platforms and YouTube. Also, be sure to follow the show on TikTok and Instagram. But be warned. This promo is the longest amount of time you'll hear me talk without swearing or cracking an offensive joke. Now back to Criminal AF. Alright, now we move on to our last story of a shitty parent. And this one uh, will be shared by our friend and co-host of the upcoming podcast, Freaky As Fuck, Chris Owen. How you doing, Chris? Cheeky! Cheeky! Hey. Hey. hey, how's it going, guys? Hey. <laughs> now, when we were talking about this uh, this this story, um, we were joking around, and I named it uh, this old house, and then you named it this old box. <laughs> you you came back with this old box. That was pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, all right. So uh, I'm just gonna go. T- I'm gonna tell a story, and then you just jump in and correct me if I'm wrong or or. Or whatnot, because uh, okay. actually, I, what I want you to do is t- tell a little story, just a just a kind of brief run up of of why this story is significant to you. Well, basically, we, uh, my husband and I, raised kids for almost twenty years in the house where these murders took place, Oof. and we moved. Yeah, we moved in there about uh, I think about two two to three years after the murders happened. Oh, wow. And so we were the, yeah, we were the f- next people living in the house besides um, the girlfriend of the murderer who yeah. lived in there for about a year and a half before us. Now, did, um, they, did they tell and, you yeah, about so the murders before you moved in? Yeah, yeah, we actually had been looking for a house to buy and then our realtor, who's a friend of ours, as we pulled in the driveway, he kind of turned to us and said, oh, <laughs> By the uh, way, <laughs> this, yeah, he didn't realize until he was en route where, where, what place it was. Yeah. So, um, it was kind of a throw, it threw him off as well. And then he said, Do you guys still want to see it? And I felt an immediate pull. It was kind of a long driveway going down to a rancher. And I just felt an immediate pull to go down and just check it out and see how I felt about the whole thing. Yeah. And it was definitely, um, it was definitely a little bit scary of a proposition for me, not because of haunting or anything like that. It was because um, our daughter at 
that time was the same age as um, the young girl who was killed. Yeah. So it was, it, it just was a little bit, we weren't sure whether we were going to go for it. But once we moved into the place, we decided to do it and we moved in. Um, it was more about just wanting to bring a better presence to the house and the neighborhood. Yeah. It's kind of hard to explain, but I just felt a real pull to do it. And yeah, I get it. Especially being, yeah, especially being married to a guy who's just an amazing dad, yeah. um, really wanting to bring that kind of energy to the house. Right. Yeah. Now, now, here, now, a side note to Garrett. Now, would, if if you and Kelly were going to look for a house, and the realtor said, "Hey, uh, a family was murdered." In this house, would you guys? I I I now I can't speak for Kelly because I know she'd be like absolutely not. Yeah. But for me, like I said, you, we talk, we go back and forth all the time. Yeah. I, I'm not a big spiritual guy. I don't believe in ghosts and stuff like that. Yeah. So to me, like, sure, you're gonna give me X amount of money off the house because there was a murder there. I'm fine. I'm fine with that. Yeah, I, I don't I don't mind. <laughs> That's it. actually a question. Sorry, that's actually a question we got asked a lot is if we got a really good deal on the house. And I mean, I would say maybe just a tiny bit under what the regular value was, but really not any big of a deal to yeah. um, make that a reason. It was kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people that where I have my mindset where they, yeah. they don't. They don't care. They don't so it's, it's not like because you hear those stories about people getting houses for half off and stuff like that. Right. I don't think that happens as much. Yeah. Uh, well, I have to hand yeah. it to both of you because I would never. I know you would. I would never, I know you ever, would. ever live in a house where someone was. <laughs> but that's your own ever. mind. You'd be like, you. I swear to God, I saw the little girl walking right. down the hallway. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. wind blows. I'm like, it's and fucking haunted. But also, I, I getting to know you, if everybody who doesn't know are listening and don't know who Chris Owens is, she's, she's one of our best Patreons. She's oh, one yeah. of our best uh, active Discord users. Yep. She's just awesome in general. She helps us with the stories a lot. Oh, yeah. She comes um, up with a great crime scene for us, too. Get, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Getting to know, like, you... <laughs> At this point, I I know that doesn't bother you at all. You, you're right. definitely. I would say that you're definitely kind of. You're not into that stuff, but you definitely have a uh, a pull towards true crime. Yeah, for or sure. Horror and paranormal kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and at the time, because um, it was quite a while ago, I I definitely was not. I was more spiritual than into sort of the actual scientific end of death and everything to do with it but over the years I've kind of just my lens has gotten a little bigger where I see everything more rounded so more the science end of it and all of that but it it wasn't anything that I ever felt really uncomfortable with yeah I was quite comfortable with death really from a young age so um it was more going to be about if I walked in that house and felt like Oh fuck no! Yeah, some, then bad, some bad juju. It would have been a no. Right, right. Yeah, it would have been a complete no. Yeah, yeah. but I actually just felt um, emotional and almost like it was—I wouldn't say a challenge, but it was—it was just an actual pull. I don't really know how else to describe it. Yeah. But no, it didn't. It it bothered me in the way that I got emotional in the house, knowing what happened there. Quite emotional, actually. But um, I didn't feel like there was you know spirits stuck there and stuff like that and i kind of dealt down that quite a bit right now are you still living there today no we moved away from there it'll be five years in november and um sold sold the house after not living in there for a couple of years so it sold about 
two years ago. Gotcha. Nice. All right. So, we'll, uh, well, first, before we get into the story, I just want to give a shout out to our Patreon members and, and those who, uh, you know, through buy me a coffee or, or just, you know, one time donations and whatnot. I just want to thank them because this call is brought to you by them <laughs> uh, with our new Roadcaster Pro 2. Uh, we can now do live calls and record uh, these sessions with because right now uh, Cheeky is probably six, no, not six thousand. How, how far away? You're probably like three thousand, four thousand miles away from us right now. Yeah, I think it's close to four. Yeah, yeah. so 4,000 miles away, and here we are sounding great, like we're live in studio, and here we are. So thank you all for uh, for helping us out and, and uh, improving the show. All right, so this story is about Douglas John Holtum, right? Did I pronounce that right? Holtum. Yeah. All right, so John was born in 1960 in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Now, did you live in Canada your whole life? Yeah, born and raised in British Columbia. So now we're just, we're living uh, out about an hour away from Vancouver on the on the ocean. So it's a lot nicer than the concrete yeah, jungle. You have a beautiful, oh, yeah. beautiful home out Yeah, Chris is definitely, Thanks. Chris is definitely pinky up now, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, just a little fancy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Posh. Yeah. Well, you guys, you guys, I'm sure you worked hard for it. Um, and she doesn't have that, like, yeah, West Canadian sure. accent either. Like, right. like hey, bod. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so I live in this good. house, eh? Um, yeah. <laughs> hoose. The hoose. Oh, the hoose yeah. bud. It's a hoose bud. Yeah. <laughs> a boot. All right. So yeah. this uh, this John guy, uh, Douglas John Holtham, he was born in 1960 in Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, for those who don't know, that's in Canada. Uh, he old. Oh, we can actually hear the seagulls. <laughs> I know. By the ocean. I was ah, just going to say. Nice. Oh, wow. Nice little ambiance as we tell this story. Right now, we're in a dizzy basement with spiders yeah. all over it. She's yeah. sitting outside in the fucking, looking out over the ocean. Yeah. Watching. Yeah. She's, uh, she's well watching. Just so from you don't her hear deck. the dogs. Yeah, yeah. Just so you don't hear the dogs bugging me in the back. Yeah. No, it's fine. All right. So he grew up in uh, Cloverdale, British Columbia, and he met his wife, Leonora. What? Leonora? How do you say it? Lenora? It's yeah, it looks like it says Leonora, but she went by Lenora. Lenora, okay. Lenora. All right, he grew up in <laughs> he grew up in Cloverdale, British Columbia, where he met his wife Lenora in high school where they were high school sweethearts. Uh, they ended up getting married in 1986 and they had two children. Uh, Cody was 8 and his younger sister was Jenny was 6 and they were expecting their third child as Lenora was 4 months pregnant. And this is all at the time of the uh, the murder. And during this time, they lived in a home in Mission, British Columbia. Now, Holton's sisters, uh, they loved Lenora and the children and enjoyed visits with them. And people in the neighborhood knew him as a happy-go-lucky, sweet teddy bear kind of guy. He also coached his kids basketball, and he worked uh, as, an, as an installer for irrigation systems. All right. Now this is where things start getting a little, little iffy. So this guy, up up until this point, this guy's a stand up, stand up individual. Perfect family, right? Yeah, there. yeah. He's a great dude. He's got the family. Yeah. You know, he's the coach. He's like got all friends with all the neighbors. All right, and then here comes the side piece. Oh no, it's yeah. a side piece story. A side piece That's story. so unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so yeah, in, the side piece in mid September 1997, after slightly more than a decade of marriage. Holtham traveled to Vancouver Island on business, where he met Shannon Gardard at a Victorian country bar. Damn succubus, dude. Oh, yeah. Fucking Shannon. Here comes Shannon. (laughs) 
Here comes Shannon with her big tits, fat ass. <laughs> Without a care in the world. And her bad hokey jewelry. And, uh, <laughs> hokey jewelry. Some, some Leah Sophia on, dude. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, Goddard was a Western. I think it was a karaoke bar. Oh, oh really? It makes it Sorry. even worse, dude. Oh, yeah. the karaoke bar. Yeah, I think Jeez. it was an actual karaoke bar. And it's pretty. There's some parts of Vancouver Island that are, you know, more rural than others. Right. And there's some pretty. I mean, it's an amazing place, but there is definitely some a little bit of hillbilly going trashy, on over there. A little wet trashy places. going on. Yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, Goddard was a Western wear designer. Okay, she was divorced with two children, and Holtham had found his honky tonk look. Oh my God! Don't oh, say yeah. that. <laughs> He's don't like, "How you that. doing, pretty darling?" All right. So he told a friend that he just <laughs> encountered his soulmate. But he did not tell Goddard that he was married. Ooh, okay, a little sneaky. All right, so after he returned, so there. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say. So there, there was different conversations floating around mm-hmm. of whether or not she actually knew if he was married, okay. or if he if he didn't tell her right away, but she knew within a really short amount of time. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's usually the mm-hmm. case. That's usually the case. And at that yeah. point, you have to make a business decision whether or not. You gonna stay together, or are you gonna be a piece of shit? Right. Are you gonna keep it moving? Right. And usually in those cases, either a side piece of shit. Yeah, side side piece piece of shit. shit. There you go. Yeah, Yeah, I like that. (laughs) So at that at that at that point, you know, you have to make a business decision on whether you're gonna stay with them. And usually it comes down to whether there's money involved, lots of money, or. The dude has a fucking horse cock. <laughs> it always comes out. He to did two have things. a porn stash. He, oh, he did. Ooh, oh, right there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sold. he had a definite porn stash. He sold. Yeah. She probably saw that big old honky tonky belt. <laughs> oh, yeah. She was smitten. She was like, "What's underneath well, that no, belt?" That's not necessarily the only case. You know what I mean? A lot of there's there's some people get off on. Being, married, being married a home wrecker, like, like being a home wrecker. There's, mm. there's uh, for both sides, man, male and female. Yeah. So you never know oh, the, yeah. Challenge, the yeah. challenge. Yeah. Challenge. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, he also told a friend that he encountered his soulmate, but he did not tell Goddard he was married. We already covered that. Right. I met my soulmate. I at met a my soulmate. Karaoke at a, Western at a honky bar. tonk Jesus karaoke Christ. ball. Yeah, I'm sure you did, buddy. Oh, I'm sure motherfuckers. You did. I'm sure you did. <laughs> All right. After he returned home, Holtham kept in touch with Goddard by phone, and the two wrote steamy, passionate letters to each other through snail mail. Remember those days? In 1997, snail- though? Yeah, like, come on. We- didn't, wasn't AOL around in 97? I think it was, yeah. wasn't it? Oh, yeah. 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 yeah I mean, it took a, probably took as yeah, long to fucking Yeah, probably not in out, out mission. Yeah. <laughs> probably took just as long with the fucking dial-up, but hey, yeah, whatever. Yeah. All right, so... During a phone call on October 7th, 1997, Goddard expressed concern about the future of their relationship. And Holton told her, I will prove my love to you. All right? Ooh, that sounds creepy. So, we know what this podcast is all about. And so let's get into the nitty gritty of this. On the morning of October 8th, 1997, Holton murdered his wife, 37-year-old Lenora who was four months pregnant at the time. He also murdered his six-year-old daughter, Jenny, and attempted to murder his eight-year-old son, Cody, by bludgeoning them with a hammer in the head. Jeez. At seven, Yeah, a hammer. Uh, at 7.45 a.m., a neighbor from across the road went to check on Lenora after she got a call from Lenora's mother. 
she called her daughter every morning at 7 a.m. and was not receiving any response to her calls and grew concerned. The neighbor from across the road walked into a scene of horror. She found little Jenny in the living room, her head smashed in. Lenora was nearby in a bedroom with her skull also smashed. The neighbor rushed home and told her husband what she had found and called for emergency help. Her husband went into the home and found that Jenny and Lenora were still alive. Oof. Wow. But unresponsive. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Police and paramedics arrived while the lives of the mother and daughter slipped away, and officers, they searched the rest of the house. In a stairwell, they found young Cody, semi-conscious, blood gushing from a gaping head wound, struggling in vain to stand up. Ugh. That paints an awful picture. Yeah. Another brave. I will. Yeah. I will interject that. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I will interject that. That was um, actually a, out of all the parts of the house that used to bother me. It was that stairwell. The stairwell yeah. really bothered me. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think it was just residual right. trauma yeah. of the of the attack and him struggling and me right. knowing that probably more than anything. And I, I think like. Uh, you know, uh, in a different aspect, you know, stepping away from the story for a second. Um, regardless if you believe in, like, s- you know, spirits and ghosts and, and whatnot, a house does carry an aura. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, th- there's just, like, history, you know, to it. Where you, you can just ever walk into some place and you can just feel the history, like the oh, aura yeah, of it. Sure. You know what I mean? Old so, things. Definitely. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> I mean, I can I can definitely, you know, see how you, how you would f- be feeling that, you know, regardless. I did a lot of cleansing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Sure. I got a question, though. I would cleanse the whole house by setting it yeah. on fire. When, as you, <laughs> as you, <laughs> setting on fire, as a family hanging out in the living room, did you ever, like, that, that to me would be kind of tough. Like, I get why you said the stairwell, you know, kind of was the worst spot in the house for you. But the, to know that she was laying on the living room floor. Like, you didn't look at that spot. Yeah. Like, I, I wouldn't be able to get that out of my head. Like, yeah. I would be trying to enjoy TV, like, my like watching TV or something, and then i just look down at the floor and be like, holy yeah, shit. Yeah, definitely. Right. And, you know, there was a time, there was quite a time where I, it took probably about a year and a half before I knew exactly where everything happened. And it wasn't until I had, I think I had picked up the kids from school and I was coming home and grabbed old school newspaper and because he was going to trial it was the first time I saw listed anywhere in any kind of context exactly where everything happened and not to sound dramatic but I did drop to my knees and just start bawling my eyes out and it was really difficult yeah yeah it was and I sort of inadvertently became so attached to the case and to the the people and the victims I felt part of it just living there and so now finally knowing where everything happened I had heard about the stairwell prior to that but knowing sort of where everything happened as far as where their bodies were like well while they were still alive um, that was actually at that point I'll be honest I, I was almost ready to move at that point it just hit me so hard and but I worked through it. Um, but you're right, Garrett. I, there was a, many times when we would just be in different parts of the house, and I would really try not to let that sort of black cloud hang over my head and just replay visions that I thought. 
because uh, I'm super visual anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so I was trying not to let that replay over and over. And uh, quite honestly, I would get distracted by our kids so many times and see them running around and playing and my husband playing with them. And that really, it sounds kind of corny, but that really diffused a lot of that Oh, for sure. Black feeling. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure at at some point you just, you're, you're, you you just don't think about it. I don't honestly think that there was ever a time where I wouldn't at least go a few days without thinking about it. I just didn't become uh, obsessive over it or I couldn't have lived there. And it was, I'm a huge empath. And so, you know, it's, I think part of the struggle is that, if I let myself, I will go down that rabbit hole of just visually picturing, picturing all the time. So yeah, yeah. I had to really be aware of that and try to halt that. But it was it was a definite uh, problem for me sometimes, for sure. I can also see what you're saying about how watching your husband play with your kids and like the life in the house, laughing and, and running around could. Yeah. Can you almost feel like you're changing that energy? I, I see where you're where you're yeah. going with that. So that's that. Yeah, awesome. that's kind of part of it. Yeah, it's it's kind of part of the draw of being there, and it wasn't at all to be in a um, you know we're we're better than people, other people, or anything like that. Yeah. It was just that was part of. Well, that I would say that was the main pull that I had was. The house could have been demolished and that would have been the end of the actual physical structure. But there was a lot of different energy in the neighborhood around what happened, understandably. And um, it was just kind of a real draw to feel like I could possibly make a slight change in that with bringing our family there. Right. And... I think at the time in my life, too, that was very important to me. I think my empath spikes were really, really high at that point. So probably a little bit to my detriment, but. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, anytime you can bring positive energy to a dark energy situation is is always a good thing. Um, But let's, uh, so, all right, so Cody, as we say, he was was semi-conscious, found gushing from a gaping headwood, struggling in vain to stand up. Now, it says here the uh, bone fragments had been driven into his brain, and he had laid in a coma for two weeks. Uh, Cody was the only survivor, but had no memory of what had happened and or of what had caused his injuries or the deaths of his mother or sister. So, I mean, I, I guess... That that's a good uh, thing. Try to find the silver you know lining. I mean? You know what I mean? Right. He wasn't aware. He didn't watch. Right. I think he did over time um, start probably through therapy. I don't want to speak for him, um, but I think over time, yeah, he did start to have some memory back of it. Yeah. Uh, it says here that Cody uh, he spent uh, over four months in the children's hospital recovering. Four months. Wow. That's God bless him. Jesus. Uh, Lenora died at the scene and Jenny arrived at the hospital where she was pronounced dead on on arrival. Uh, Police believe the family was attacked shortly before the arrival of police, but there was no signs of forced entry. At 7.30 a.m., Douglas Holtham, uh, he arrived at his place of employment, which is about 40 minutes away from his home. Police arrived at his place of work at about 8.30 and he was brought in for questioning uh, for the day, but he was released and without charge and remained a person of interest. Wow, he just drove to work like it was another Sunday, yeah. another work day. It's fucking, yeah, it's a Tuesday. There's actually 
Um, there's a lot of different stories of him actually driving to work because he crossed a big bridge going from where he would be working to where the house is. And mm. it's thought that he actually tossed yeah. his, the hammer into, into the river, into the Fraser River yeah. off the bridge. Uh, police had seized love letters between he and Goddard uh, from his wallet, along with clothes he was wearing for forensic analysis. Cody remained at a children's hospital in Vancouver under police guard, uh, but his father was allowed to visit him daily. Uh, while investigators awaited results from the analysis of his clothing, they put Holtham under surveillance. Now, at the funeral for Lenora and Jenny, Holtham took off his wedding ring and put it in the Lenora's coffin as it was lowered to the ground. Oh, wait, that is such a tell. Yeah. Whoa. Uh, afterward, he, he called Goddard and left for Vancouver Island to see her. Oh, yeah. Wow. Here's my Cold wedding ring. Cold-blooded. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's almost eerily similar to the Chris Watts scenario, yeah. where it's like, I, I, feel like I, I feel like this is pulling to the, if I can't have them... Nobody can. You know what I mean? Like, right. I don't want to be with my wife, but if I can't have my if kids, I, yeah, if I yeah. can't have anybody, uh, can't have them. Nobody can. Right. It's very eerily similar to that. That. Uh, yeah. It's almost like a clean slate thing, yeah. right? Because then you're not but still, paying like, for wife right. and kids, and yeah. Well, I wonder. I wonder. Bringing up the Chris Watts thing is that I wonder if this, uh, you know, honky tonk Goddard lady uh, was like, you know what? I don't want. Well, no, never mind. She had kids. Uh, well, still, I don't want. I don't want the baggage. Yeah. Could have easily been that situation. Easily. Then when yeah. he said, "Oh, I'm gonna prove how much I love you." Yeah. Wait, but still, like, how do you go from a doting, you know, a loving white picket fence family to yeah. just being able to turn it on like that? That's that, it's that nana. I, I guess. That, man, I don't. I don't know. Oh uh, yeah. It's that gushy gush. Yeah, and for <laughs> for all intents and purposes, he apparently was truly came across at least outside of the home with the neighbors and and other parents and family friends and family that he was just a regular doting father and husband um, and that he like you know how you always hear you know was out of left field and never saw that coming he was a great guy but apparently just in my experiences with other um, people in the neighborhood and other parents who knew the family really well, having conversations with them, he he truly was just a regular, seemed like a regular old dad and right. husband, and didn't have any um, weird so, or anything like that. Yeah, nothing that seemed to stand out to anybody at all. And usually, you at least hear like a like you know a friend or something saying, "Well, yeah, no, there was this other side," but right. nothing really came up. And so when people say they're shocked by it, I imagine they, they really truly were yeah, shocked yeah. by it. So his, his immediate departure after the funeral drew concern that he may be so upset that he may harm himself. So they all yeah. thought he was going to commit suicide. Right. Meanwhile, he's going to meet he's going to go side piece. Lay, lay some pipe. Yeah. Yeah. So he spent the evening with Goddard. Went right to the ferry. Yeah, <laughs> right to the ferry. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, he spent yeah. the evening with Goddard in the roadhouse where they had met. Oh, they went back to the honky-tonk. Oh, my. Oh, yeah. yeah. The thought of those, like, being <laughs> being in that bar, right, yeah. and not having a clue that this guy just murdered, just his, murdered his whole family, yeah. and then he came to a fucking karaoke bar. Yeah. A Western karaoke. That's, that's crazy to me. That's right. actually crazy to me. Yeah. Uh, it's so weird that you say that because I think about that a lot when I go into places and I pan 
oh, the yeah. room. Oh, yeah, I do that all the because time. Of, just because of the research and everything. I'm yeah. always panning in the room going, right. okay, one in four. <laughs> so they have some fucked up history. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, people watching yeah. is fun, I will say. Yeah. That. All right, so while they're yeah. at the honky-tonk, they drank, they kissed, and they slow-danced the country songs. Oh, ain't that so party? What the fuck? That's so party. All right, Holton stayed a week with Goddard. Uh, then the two traveled to the lower mainland and stayed in hotels and around the area, including Mission. Uh, by Christmas, Goddard had moved into the Holton family home, where the carpet still had pieces cut out, removed as evidenced by police from the places where the kid's blood has been. How fucking crazy! Just what the like fuck? nonchalantly. Yeah. So, what kind uh, of a person could do that? Just move in where, even if you believe he didn't do it, right? You're what kind of a person could just move in there? And going back to what you were saying with him heading over on the ferry to see her right away and staying a week, you got to keep in mind too that he was allowed to see his son. At that point, and he's struggling for his life, and he's over in the honky tonk. Didn't visit his son. (laughs) Yeah, brings up in a coma for a week with the side piece of of shit. Yeah, that brings up a really good (laughs) point. That's right. And I I have a hard time believing she didn't have a. I'm going to say fifty percent sure. More, she had to have had more a fifty fifty shot that he did this, and she still had the the balls to move in with him. Like, come on. Yeah, my personal opinion is I'm at a. I said it about a ninety five percent that she knew for sure. At least knew about it. Um, yeah. Maybe not necessarily before, but I think she probably had a pretty good indication. You got to think what their conversations were probably like, yep. and then him saying, "Oh, I'm going to prove it to you." She's not going to hang up and think, "Well, I'm going to get a dozen roses." Jeez. You know, she obviously, uh, yeah, I just, that's just my opinion, just in the whole. I agree with you. Overall general feeling of it all. All right. And this, 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 yeah. I hope she's listening. <laughs> she said, I hope she's listening. I hope she's oh, listening. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Fuck you. you we bitch. know, we know. We know you honky tonk. You know, yeah. yeah. All right. So I'm uh, talking <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Uh, November 3rd, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't say that, you know, I've had my share of honky-tonks, karaoke, (laughs) (laughs) rendezvous, rendezvous. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anyway, so uh, on November 3rd, 1997, with no conclusive evidence against him, no conclusive, that's crazy, uh, police set up an undercover Mr. Big Sting investigation targeting him. All right, so for those of you that don't know what a Mr. Big Sting is, it's it's a highly controversial sting operation that was developed in Canada and is sometimes used to elicit confessions from criminals. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So you can't do that in America. You can't. Nope. Uh, when the suspect gets deep involved in this Mr. Sting operation, they usually believe that they are going to get large sums of money, so they need to prove themselves to the big boss. Mr. Big Sting is the big boss. Gotcha. They, are, they understand that they're working in situations usually involving guns or drugs and lots of illegal activity, sometimes, you know, m- like mafia style. Uh, they, this usually results in them giving a confession about something huge that they have done to show that they can be trusted that Mr. Big has uh, something to hold over them if needed. So, you know, they, they, they kind of reel you in with like little side jobs. Hey, you know, you can make, you know, a thousand bucks doing this. You can make 5,000 bucks doing this, so on and so forth. And then when it gets up to like 50,000, 500,000, a million, they're like, whoa, whoa, okay, now listen, you know, you've done a lot of good work for us. However, Mr. Big, he's still a little fucking iffy about you. So you have to tell us, you have to admit to us something that you have done 
to kind of make it even. You know what I mean? Wow, it's like a reverse undercover. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah. And it's it, and very it, involved. And it's all controlled because obviously all these drug deals and gun deals and everything yeah, are, 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 are between agents. agents yeah. Right, yeah. Um, so Mr. Big uh, is still legal in Canada, but it's uh, much harder to have it admissible in court. The use of this technique is also prohibited in the UK and the United States. Now, in Germany, which has high standards uh, for what compromise of a, is a voluntary confession, it may be more difficult to use confessions obtained using uh, Mr. Big, and it has been used by police in Australia and New Zealand. And its uh, its use has been upheld in courts by both countries. I feel like an American lawyer could easily win that case, though, because oh, they could say yeah. like there struggles for money, whatever uh, you're making uh, him make stuff. Entrapment, up. yeah, it's yeah, entrapment for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. So this particular sting involved over sixty police officers and cost over a million dollars and took six months. Now, posing as criminals, they paid him two small sums for jobs appearing to be associated with crime. And uh, as time went on, Holtham was full-time driving trucks and picking up bags of automatic guns from boats and counting large sums of cash. Damn. Yeah. By the late of by late April of 1998, the officers had convinced him that he would get 150 grand for helping to offload a huge amount of contraband guns and drugs at a site along the coast. Uh, police felt they uh, built up enough trust to make their suspect an offer. If he spilled the details about what happened on October 8th, a terminally ill man would confess in his place to the crimes and take the fall. Whoa. So, And that's a lot of stuff happening in six months right. from yeah. the time of the murder. Yeah. That's only six months. Right. And yeah, that's and you got to think his. Yeah, his son was in the hospital for four months. Yeah. So there's a lot. He's very busy. Yeah, very yeah, busy. He's, yeah. he's going he's to honky talks. He's singing karaoke. He's yeah. smuggling he's guns. Smuggling guns. But at this point, he thinks he's Hefe. Drugs. Yeah. Oh, he yeah. thinks he's. He uh, thinks he's, he's El Chapo. Yeah, he thinks he's El Chapo <laughs> at this point. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. He's got rid of the family. He's yeah. got money coming in. Oh, he's yeah. got his side piece of shit, yeah. and he's good to go. Side piece of shit. I love that. Side piece of shit. All right, so Holtham took the took the bait, and police secretly recorded his confession on video. So the day he told the undercover cop he had woken up before dawn, uh, quote, I went and got a hammer off the back porch, went in, hit Lenora with it in the bedroom. It woke my daughter. She came out of her room and saw what was going on. So I went out there and I did the same thing to her. Went upstairs to check on Cody, and he was at the top of the stairs, awake, too. So I did the same thing there at the top of the stairs, unquote. Uh, question further, Holtham revealed that he'd attacked his wife while she lay sleeping in her bed, and then he smashed a hammer three times to each side of the skulls of his children. Oh. And this is the amazing part, quote, he said in the midst of the story. It's that it almost like it never happened. Never happened. Wow, what a sociopath. Unquote, yep. The crime did not disturb his rest, Holtham said. I think about it all the time, but it doesn't stop me from sleeping. Whoa. Yeah. So, on Oct- yeah, he's he's cool. Yeah. yeah, That's a cool yeah, guy. Good dude. Good dude. Uh, on October 26th, Douglas Holtham was arrested and charged with two counts of first-degree murder and one attempted murder. Uh, he was not charged for the murder of his unborn child. Why? 
Uh, I think that's an American thing. Oh, okay. I think we yeah we do that here. I don't know about Canada. Yeah, I think they're actually bringing that through in some legal cases. I think they're trying to change that here. I could be wrong, but yeah. I I seem to remember there's been a, a couple of cases where I think at a certain term of the pregnancy, yeah. then it changes. Right. I, I also think um, Amer- but, yeah. America's uh, legal system is really based on faith, too. So, yeah. like, you know what I mean? Right. A new unborn baby being a mm-hmm. per- They're trying to establish baby's a, baby. a baby's yeah. a, a person. In December of 1999, he was sentenced to two life sentences, which in Canada is only 25 years. So a life sentence in Canada is 25 years? So you could be, yeah. you could be 25 20. years. I have heard this. Yeah, well, a lot of countries are like that. Like in the United States, life is life. Oh yeah, we are the yeah. most incarcerated, no, incarcerated country in the world, yeah, baby. We'll, right. we'll put you behind bars forever. Right. Yeah. All right. So it's two, definitely not a wanted thing here for sure. Yeah. But yeah, twenty-five years, and I think what you can do twenty-five years with possibility of parole, and twenty-five years without the possibility of parole. But in his case, he was also serving them concurrently which is just bizarre to me so at the same time because he was wait yeah he was up for parole um he got he did 25 no he got 25 without parole and two 225 concurrent i I could be wrong but i because i know he was yeah i knew he was um eligible to apply for parole in 2012 I believe I might be wrong. I think I have it in the notes there, but think about that um, though. You can get, that's, yeah, you can get that two was a life sentences. You can <laughs> yeah. get two life sentences. Murder your wife and daughter. Murder your wife and daughters. Right. Get two life sentences, and if you had the possibility with, of parole, you yeah. could potentially get out in Ten, fifteen years. Ten years, fifteen years, fifteen years. Yeah, yeah, and he was only forty years old too. So crazy that's to me. Nuts. I'm moving to Canada. What? Is, yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> They got free health care, and you can get out of jail 25 years for murdering your family. That's crazy. <laughs> now, yeah, and, he was uh, only question 40. For, question yeah. for you, someone who's lived in Canada their whole life. Mm-hmm. Are you okay with that? Is that like, do you no. Do you think that that's, I, I don't know how to, answer, how to ask that no, question. No, definitely, I'm definitely not okay with it. And uh, most people that I know are not. Um, I, 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 get I, I don't even I, honestly know, because I, I don't... Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, what's that? No, I was going to say, I, oh. I understand how people are like, like, we try to, we're trying to go back on the criminal justice reform and stuff like that. We're trying to, like, realize and let less people out of jail and, right. you know what I mean? But in here, less strict at least, sentences. less strict sentencing and stuff like that. But there's certain things where I'm like, no, they deserve to be in jail. Like, right. there's certain violent crimes that shouldn't right. get that treatment. And I don't know the, you know, I haven't delved down too far into that history of certain lawmaking and, and stuff like that, but... I honestly don't even know where that changed because we used to have some pretty hefty, you know, we had the hanging judge here. I went to elementary school where the, like, named after the big hanging judge here. (laughs) And everything used to be different. And then laws changed and I'm simplifying it and how I'm describing it. But yeah, and and I think it's really hard to go back. I mean, any law is hard to change, but I, I know that this that has been a definite contention here amongst people yeah. that I know oh, for, for sure. I a long, long time. Yeah. All right, so what happened to this fucking shitbag that got sentenced to 25 years for murdering his fucking wife and daughter? Uh, in December of 1999, he was sentenced to two life sentences. Now, on December 4th, 2021, 
This fucking piece of shit died of natural causes in prison. Well, at least he never fucking got out. Right. I mean, it sucks yeah. that he got to. Yeah. Good. It was riddance. a concern for us that yeah. he was going to get out. Oh, yeah. Or think of living that. in your house. Yeah. Because a lot yeah. of those guys come back. Yeah, it was. They come back to the place. Yeah, it you know was I mean? weird. You're in my yeah, house. It was a weird thing. Yeah. <laughs> it was more like, I mean, obviously, chances are that wouldn't have happened, but it still was just one of those things that just sits and takes up space in your head. And I would think about how close we were getting to that. It was definitely a concern. All right. So, yeah, that, I mean, that's that's got to be fucking nerve wracking. Uh, so... Now, what happened with Cody? So, Cody is the surviving victim. Uh, he is now 32 years old, and he's living a wonderful life with his partner and two children. Uh, the oldest is named Jenny after his sister. Oh, dude. Yeah. And uh, Yeah, that yeah. one. Yeah, that made me cry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so they live in Kelowna. That's, that's two stories. Now. That's two stories now of two surviving, surviving you know, brave-ass kids yeah. that were able to yeah, pull through. Great. And uh, oh, he also right because you were talking about Ronnie's yeah, kid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's the nice same. to find some silver linings out of these right. horrible fucking stories. Yeah, and not yes, only not only sure. is he surviving and thriving and has two children and married and or, or with a partner and uh, he's also uh, gives back to the community as a firefighter. So good for him. Good for him. I'm glad everything turned out yeah. well for him. That'll do it for Shitty Parents by Criminal AF. Thank you to Chris Owen for sharing her story as well as some of uh, the re- research on this episode. So thank you very much, Chris. You're welcome. We, before you go, do you have anything else to add to the story? Do you have any tidbits, information after we just went through it? Well, um, nothing that is like super, super short, except for that there's definitely quite a bit to talk about maybe in a in a paranormal type episode um, with stuff that I did with the house and with connection connection with Lenore. Um, well, lucky for the... On a spiritual level. Lucky for the listeners. Uh, we you have, can uh, check that out on Freaky, Freaky AF. Fuck, yeah. yeah, so there... So, you know, that's a whole other sort of aspect of it, but yeah. it was... Um, there's a lot to it, and, and I think that, you know, all of that really helped with the connection being there, which also makes me... F- I'm quite emotionally connected to the whole thing, even though I'm not a family member, obviously. Um, You know, it's, there's, there's still a lot around the whole story. And um, yeah, I mean, in in general, I don't regret being there at all. Not at all. Good. I can't wait to hear the paranormal, paranormal aspect of it. I'm uh, freaky as fuck as uh, Garrett. uh, (laughs) All right. Uh, Yeah. If you found what you heard interesting, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review or comment on the episode. And don't forget, you can become one of the debauched by joining our Patreon for as little as $2 a month for general support. Everyone gets ad-free episodes and access to our Discord channel. Those who join $5 or above get all of our audible video and downloadable content. And for the higher tiers, you get all this plus producer credits on every episode and some goodies thrown in. Uh, Just go to criminalassfuck.com where you can find links to our socials support, merchandise, reviews, and more. Also, you get access to the Discord and you can talk to Chris about your paranormal or crazy stories. That's right. And she'll listen. Yeah. Yeah, that would be great. Alright, so here's your here's your part, okay? You ready? Okay. Signing off from Studio Chloroform. Keep your head on a swivel and stay safe till next time. 
See ya. See ya. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> now, now give me our theme music. Executive producers for this episode are Christine Rivera, Beth Davis, Dusty J. Hicks, and Terry Burke Wollen. Associate producers are Paul Hodge, Courtney Seddon, Tara Mazur, Chantel Daggett, Jay Rollins, and Laura Shin. Producers are J.D., Ashley O'Connor, Elizabeth Plus Four, Trent Gobble, Devin Dean, Lisa Perello, Alicia Knight, Maria Sleen, Chris Owen, Justin Ware, and Emily White. Be sure to get your official Criminal AF merch at criminalafshop.com. 